Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Auburn is not a place. It is a people. The loveliest village on the plains is more than a college sports venue, more than a university filled with historic buildings, more than a quaint little southern town. Its worth lies within its people, those that call Auburn home, whether that be for a single day at a time or for a lifetime. Much like our legendary Toomer's Oak Trees, our stories are the product of a firm foundation laid in the beginning of our Auburn story. These are the stories of the Auburn family. These are their roots. War Eagle Auburn family and welcome back to Auburn Roots. This is our journey of exploring and sharing the stories of your Auburn family members. On episode 26, my next guest is someone that you're probably very familiar with on the Auburn social media sphere. You're also probably very aware of his podcast, AU Wishbone, but mostly he's a great Auburn family member. And I'm proud to announce that we'll be today speaking to Mr. Van Allen Plexico. Van, thank you so much for joining me on Auburn Roots. Hey, Kyle. Great to be here. I appreciate you thinking of me for this uh, program. It's very exciting. Absolutely. You, uh, as I told you pre-show, we have had you high on our list and just getting around to you now feels like such a travesty because, you know, it feels like a podcaster should make the priority to bring another podcaster on because at least they know what we go through, right? <laughs> oh, we do go through things, don't we? <laughs> technology, trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. You know, that's the whole thing too. You know, I, and I remember from listening to some of y'all's past podcasts, of, I think it was you discussed, your wife's always like, well, football season's over. What are you going to talk about? I mean, there's there's always plenty to talk about, even in the Auburn football sphere. And we sh- you should know that from this off season as well. So I've, uh, I, I hope that anybody out there will go and check out AU Wishbone, uh, obviously after this. And we'll talk about that some more as we go throughout uh, this episode today. But Van... Where I like to start with this is not even in your Auburn story. Can you give me just a little bit of background about yourself in terms of outside of Auburn stuff? Kind of where you're from, you know, who who you were raised by, where you, where all that good stuff. If he sat you down on a couch and explained that to me, some might say there's not a lot to me outside of Auburn. <laughs> kind of, it's funny. Most of the folks that know me in in Illinois and places like this, they. It, Anytime anything Auburn ever comes up, they're like, I immediately thought of you. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm that person, you know, for, for, for to, to be the uh, to be the person they think of. I other than Auburn, I guess um, um, I'm originally from Sylacauga, Alabama, and um, my dad graduated from Auburn. And, and so I always I became an Auburn fan very early on back in the, you know, the mid 70s as a little kid when things were not very good football wise, but Auburn was Auburn. And I always figured I would go there and I did. And, and I uh, got two degrees from there and spent the late eighties and early nineties there on and off. And then um, um, I'm a professor of history and political science at uh, Southwestern Illinois in my day job. And uh, I write superhero and science fiction and 
football books and uh, comics and all kind of stuff when I'm not teaching. So, and I've got a great wife and two awesome girls and um, I live very close to St. Louis on the Illinois side of the river. So, and I've been all around the world. I've kind of, um, I've lived in uh, Atlanta for a long time and loved it. I lived in Singapore for about a year and it was cool uh, or very hot, but cool. And I've been up here now for about 15 years. So uh, I don't know, does that, does that run down my resume pretty well? That, that is quite a resume. Uh, you know, usually I'm not surprised to hear that someone's got at least some type of tie to Alabama. Uh, but then you go to the whole Illinois where you are now. But I was not aware Singapore was in mm-hmm. your past as well. So what were you doing in Singapore? I was there for about a year, about, I guess it was between Atlanta. Well, it was before I moved full time from Atlanta to here, I was, um, um, it, it, as most tragic stories seem to, it involved having a having a woman involved, like as Jimmy Buffett would say, right? There must be a woman to blame. That's Jimmy Buffett, not me. I, I take no I take no blame for that. But but no, yeah, I, I, we went over there for about a year, but then uh, because she had a job opportunity there, but then it, we it didn't work out, and so I came back. But it was a really cool life experience. It was neat to be on the other side of the, literally on the opposite side of the world. When it was noon in Atlanta, it was midnight in Singapore. And um, a place where it's 95 degrees all day, every day of the year for 365 days a year. So, uh, and and it was just cool. It was just a neat thing to kind of get a different experience, you know. So, you brought up twice now how hot it is in Singapore. How would you compare it to those summers down in Lower Alabama? Well, that's the funny thing. There's two funny things there. One is Singapore is always like 85 to 95 degrees, but when I left Atlanta to go there, it was like 105 in Atlanta. So now, you know, six months later, it would be 20 or 15 in Atlanta, but it was much hotter in Atlanta than it was in Singapore. I was like, oh, it's much cooler here. And they're like, oh, the other thing was that I had to get like 40 different kind of vaccinations to go there. And I get there and it's just the cleanest, most pristine place. And I'm like, man, I'm going to want shots to go back to Georgia after this, you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Georgia looked more like the third world than Singapore. So come on. Absolutely. I, I understand that. You know, it's, it's funny when you go over there, you know, I, I always kind of like to hear about people's perspectives who've spent a little bit of time in a different country, especially not just a different part of our country um, as Auburn fans. Speaking of which, did you have any War Eagle moments out there in Singapore? No, I they didn't really have a clue about it. I uh, I wore Auburn stuff a lot. I had uh, my hats and I had a T-shirt, but no, the you know for the only it's funny the um here there was one moment that was kind of like that but from my other my other passion that has an A logo which is the Avengers I, I've run the Avengers website for twenty five years I had an Avengers website before Marvel had a website wow and uh, because I was at Auburn oh this I, I forgot the Auburn connection my roommate in graduate school in the early nineties worked at the division of university computing so he taught me HTML coding when it first like came out. Mm-hmm. So we were going over to the Duck Building in Auburn and creating web pages almost before anybody was, and that page is still there. It's 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 still there. It's moved around a little bit, <laughs> but um. So I had a Avengers. I've had AvengersAssemble.net for twenty five years. Well, I was in Singapore, and um, and I was walking through a mall, and there was an Avengers T shirt, and I, and it was like from that card game or something years ago. And I went and I told the little the little you know, the Chinese kid behind the counter, I said, Hey, I'd like to buy that Avengers shirt. And he's like, no, no, it's not for sale. I'm like, that's too bad. I, I run the the website for them. And he goes, you're a Van Allen Plexico. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a kid in Singapore. 
knew who I was. <laughs> That's crazy. So you get like notice oh, for that aspect of your life, but not the Auburn fan of, you know, the, the family stretches yeah. far and wide, but you know, there are still parts of the world where we haven't infected yet, which is probably a good thing in some sense. You know, we, we can be a bit much as an Auburn family at times. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy well, to know that. <laughs> but, but without Auburn, I wouldn't have had the website and then he wouldn't have known me. Absolutely. So it all comes back to Auburn, even if it's not there in Singapore. It, it all does. <laughs> well, Everything goes back to Auburn. Let's go back a little bit further, back to uh, childhood. You said you grew up in Silicaga. One thing I like to get a perspective on of people, especially where they spent a lot of their maybe younger years growing up as an Auburn fan. Silicaga is not that far removed from Auburn, Alabama. If I'm doing math correct in my head and distances, it's probably like an hour and change. Does that sound about right distance-wise? Depending on what year you're making that drive. When I started, it was about an hour and a half. Now it's like 45 minutes, so – yeah, because they kept improving that highway on 280. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a little adventure on 280. You know, it can be one of the most boring drives in the world, but it can also be one of the more interesting drives. The things that you'll see on 280, driving from Birmingham to Auburn. Tell me what growing up in Sylacauga was like as an Auburn fan. Was it was there a lot of Bama fans influence there, or was it strictly Auburn? Oh, no. oh god, he's got his head. In his- <laughs> <My specs. laughs> well, understand that Sylacauga High School, their colors red. And they play in Legion Stadium, mm. and their and their band is the Half Million Dollar Band. Are you getting a picture? I am getting a picture right now, and I don't <laughs> like it, man. Please don't paint this any further. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. All the all the teachers just about went to Alabama, and they'd all like wrap class up early on Fridays to get over to Tuscaloosa in a hurry for the game or Birmingham. So, man, yeah. But the funny thing is, way more of my classmates went to Auburn than went to Alabama. Back, you know, this was back in in high school. This was back in the early 80s, early mid 80s. And um, Auburn was bringing it was growing a lot faster than Alabama back then. Auburn's enrollment back then was like 23, 24,000. And Alabama's was like 15, something like that. And so a lot more of my classmates went with me down to, uh, to Auburn than, than went to Alabama. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, that was, think about this from first grade through ninth grade, Alabama won the iron bowl every year. Mm. That was the last four of Suge and the la- and the five of Barfield for my first grade through ninth grade. So it was rough. <laughs> it was tough, but that's why, that's why that 1982 bow over the top iron bowl. I mean, people that are a bit younger, I think don't, can't fully they, they they can look back and see the statistic oh we beat them that year into the street cool you know but you don't understand when your entire life your entire memories are alabama beating auburn every year you know the only question was would we make it close until the fourth quarter when they pulled away mm-hmm. and so that 82 bow freshman year uh, iron bowl was i mean just the greatest thing ever up to that point, you know, right. it, 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 people just, you had to kind of be there, you know what I mean? To get right. how big that was. So, yeah. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I think it brings up a topic for modern day as well, because you talked about an era where your adolescence was defined by Alabama dominance. We're going through a time yeah. where there's my generation had lived with Auburn being the dominant program, especially with six years under Tuberville, and to some degree at least, and compared to you know what history set, set says there for Alabama, theirs is probably a little bit more extensive, but we'll, we'll celebrate a six-year win streak as much as we can. Um, but then you know you get this national championship, and now there's been this year, this we'll call it era of not really re- meeting those expectations, and I feel like there's a lot of 
Auburn fans don't appreciate our history and what we had to go through, such as you through your adolescence and the struggle that it was to even sniff a victory from the Alabama Crimson Tide. And it just doesn't seem like we're satisfied as much anymore. Do you get a sense of that, that it's kind of changed that much within the Auburn family or is the foundation really still what you discussed there? No, I think it's 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 every decade is different. Every generation is different. Everybody's perceptions are, you know, what they experienced, what it was like for them. And I mean, you know, there's folks older than me. My dad, my dad was there 57 through 60. And so he's like, well, I was there. We were winning national championship and everything. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, everybody has a different perspective. And I, I, I totally, you know, like Mira, my, my daughter is my younger daughter is 12. And, you know, she doesn't even remember Cam or anything. Mm-hmm. And so her perspective is that we lose to them all the time again. I'm like, her experience is kind of like mine, you know? Yeah. So, you know, people in between us though, have a completely different view. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that just always is, it's always changing. It's always different. So. It's very cyclical right now. And hopefully it doesn't keep cycling yeah. back too too soon here. Uh, well, actually we hope it cycles back to our end and stays there a little bit longer than it did in the past. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about you as an Auburn fan younger it sounds like there was no choice other than Auburn for you. Is that correct? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that um, my older sister and older brother had, had gone to junior college briefly, Ellick City, but they didn't go to four-year school. And so it was kind of up to me if anybody was going to carry on, you know, our dad's legacy to a certain degree. And, um, and, um, and I, that was always kind of my intent. I mean, it was, it's, it's, you know, we were, we were Auburn fans. My dad had graduated from there. We liked, you know, we liked the sports. Uh, it wasn't that far away. It was very reasonably priced. You don't even want to know what my tuition was when I was there. <laughs> uh, it'd make you pull your hair out and scream, um, you know, and the rent. Um, but, uh, um, but I, you know, I thought I, I wasn't just going to blindly go down that path. I thought about it if there was something that would be better for me professionally or whatever, but ultimately I just, cause I got like a scholarship offer to, um, to, I guess, uh, Livingston, whatever it's called. I guess it's West Alabama now or something, mm-hmm. but I get, but um, no, I, I always wanted to go to Auburn and my, my, my best friends were going there. We all were roommates freshman year and everything. So um, yeah, I think it was always kind of, it was going to happen. I just wanted to make sure that was right for me first. You talked a lot about your dad carrying on his legacy. Is that something that you kind of really wore proudly that you were the, the one son that like was living, living on through that legacy for his father? Yeah. I mean, uh, my mom's side of the family are Alabama folks. Oh, wow. and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all got them, um, don't we? <laughs> my, yeah, my, my grandparents on my mother's side, I mean, they just worship Bear Bryant. You know, they go over there, they would go over there, you know, every year, um, for games. But I mean, um, it was just cool to me to know that my dad had done that and that, um, if he could do it, I could do it. It kind of yeah. gave me a confidence that it was something I could, that I could do that I was able to do it. So, yeah. And I think that goes back to the whole thing about the Auburn family. Sometimes it is overplayed here, but there is such a strong family connection outside of just the, you know, the general Auburn family concept. It goes back to just, you know, families that, you know, your, your father, your mother, your, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts that, that went there. There's, there's usually tends to be some type of strong tie there that draws you there to want you to go experience something that they experience, So you can have those stories so that you can have those tales to tell and pass on to the next generation and generation before that, so that we can talk about the days when 
Alabama was so dominant until <laughs> you you didn't have it as bad as we did back then in the nineties. You kids today, you don't understand. In my day, oh, Lord <laughs> Bear. Oh. Well, it sounds like it was pretty um, evident that you were going to end up at Auburn, um, and you ended up there in the early or the late eighties, and you graduated yep. in nineteen ninety with your bachelor's degree. But before we kind of get into what you did after that point, let's talk a little bit about your time at Auburn. So what year did you exactly arrive there? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, um, the fall of eight, I graduated high school in, in May, in May or June of, of 86 and, and started Auburn in the fall. But I was so, I was such a naive sheltered little kid. I really didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. It was all very intimidating to me. And I got down there and ended up in just some bad classes and kind of freaked out. And I went and I immediately after about four days withdrew and went back home to Silicaga just to kind of sort out if this was really what I wanted to do, which is kind of funny when you realize my first quarter at Auburn freaked me out so bad. I didn't know I even wanted to go to college. And then I proceeded to spend at least some portion of the next 13 years in college. I, I spent more consecutive years as a college student than as a grade school student. Mm. I, the money. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got my student loans finished the year before last. Congrats. Very nice. That's 13 so, years that you had to pay off. That's incredible. <laughs> well, now, remember, the first, the, the undergrad, it was so cheap, I didn't have anything to pay off. True. I didn't have any loans or anything. I mean, I found, I, I couldn't remember because my grandmother would pay them, uh, my tuition bills back in undergrad, way back in the day. But uh, she, that was just what she wanted to do for, for our family was she was going to pay my, my undergrad tuition. And so I saw one of the receipts one time, and, and, and this wasn't even like my first year. It was like later on, like probably 88 or something or 89, and the tuition was about $375 for a quarter. Hmm. So <laughs> it's come a long way. I, uh, <laughs> I wish I had seen that. <laughs> Makes me a little jealous. Yep. And, and honestly – Honestly, now it's gotten even worse, you know, like since I've been out of school for 10 years, almost 10 years now. And it, to see the tuition jump since then, I'm like, how are how are kids even getting out of college without loans? If Is anybody even doing it I, without loans? No, I, I mean, my daughter had the best grades you could possibly have. My older daughter, she's about to graduate in just a few months from Southern Illinois. And um, she still had to borrow some mm -hmm. money. I mean, she had like all the scholarships top, you know, 4.0, whatever, all A's in college and still had to borrow some money. Mm -hmm. So as little as, as little as possible, obviously, right. but, but yeah, so all of my student loans came from Georgetown and Emory, not from Auburn. Yeah. Auburn's been traditionally very stingy with the scholarship money, which is one of those things I kind of take a little bit of pride in because we're very selective of who we get it to. But then when it's not you receiving some of that, it's kind of like, come on, Auburn, give me a little bit here. <laughs> Don't be a bone. Absolutely. And the lifelong Auburn and, fan. And, and they don't, and they don't, they don't do anything for like, you know, um, legacy type thing. We, yep. there was a conversation on one of the Auburn email groups last week. It comes up every year about how, you know, somebody says, my, my kid has great grades. Alabama's offered them all this, you know, UAB has offered them all this. Auburn's offered them nothing. And I graduated from Auburn with what, you know, with what they were saying. Auburn just doesn't, doesn't come across for out-of-state students or for legacies, and it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. It is, especially when you're trying to get your kids uh, potentially into, the, into yeah. college at the, the rate that things keep increasing. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I guess that you can find, uh, you know, 
take solace in the fact that we're very selective, but it can be frustrating as well. You said you had a very difficult, well, difficult, maybe be the best way to say it, beginning of your time at Auburn in terms of if you even wanted to be in college. Was it the classes or was it homesickness or what, what was made it so difficult for you? Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit of everything. And I, I really, I ended up in some classes my first quarter, kind of ended up accidentally jumping in the deep end of the pool, you know, mm-hmm. with some, you know, very demanding professors, demanding classes and stuff. And so I, um, I rethought things for a few weeks and then decided to go back. But by that time it was too late for, um, let's see, that was fall. So it was too late for winter quarter. So I started back in the spring of 87 and I, I took classes that I said, let me just start out in the shallow end of the pool. So I took like a, a history class, a, a drawing class and like a PE class, you know, I kind of worked my way in the kiddie pool end. And then once I kind of had my feet under me, I, I started, you know, trying to figure out what my major would be and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I had to work my way back. So you came in undecided on what you wanted to actually do with your career. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, you know what? I'd forgotten that, but I'm glad you mentioned it. That was the other part of the problem was that my original intent was to major in journalism. And so my first day, you know, in classes at Auburn, I'm in there with Jack Sims, the great Jack Sims, Mm -hmm. who is intimidating as anything. And I'm just like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. And so I had to come back undecided is what called, it was called, um, it was called GC general curriculum. Then it became GLA general liberal arts. And I stayed GLA as long as they would let me. And then they said, all right, you got to pick something. Now you, you can't graduate with no actual major son. You had to pick something. I'm like, and I'm like, well, let's see. I've been taking classes in political science, history, and geography. Now clearly in geography, there's like five jobs available in the entire country. So that's out. That's out. Um, in fact, at the college I teach at now, we have one geography professor, one. So you can see how many jobs there are for that, right? And I thought history, political science, I like them both equally, but political science just sounds more employable somehow. It make, mm-hmm. it probably make my dad a little more approving. And so I told him I'm majoring in political science. And he go, and my dad says, "What do you what do you do with a degree in political science? Just teach future political scientists how to teach." future political scientist. And I'm like, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But again, it seemed more practical than history. So, right. You know, but I ended up, I probably have more, I probably have more uh, graduate hours in history though, than I do in political science now. And most of the classes I teach now are history. So Mm -hmm. eh, it's in demand. So you graduated in 1990 with that political science degree Um, about maybe being on campus during your time there outside of academics. What did you get involved with or was it just school for you? Um, Well, the first year I was just mostly hanging out with the Silicaga crowd and I didn't I, you know, I'd I'd had enough of them in high school. Honestly, I (laughs) I was wanting to meet new people that were that were a little more exciting than them. And so. The best thing that ever happened to me, and this, I'm glad you asked that because this is absolutely the best thing that happened to me at Auburn. And that was, I read a flyer stuck on the wall of Haley Center one day that said, come to the organizational meeting for Model United Nations because Auburn hosted the, the Southeastern Invitational, Simon, Southeastern Invitational Model United Nations. And I went to that meeting and I met John Ringer. Uh, who was in my political science classes too, but this is the first time I actually met him, like not just across the room, you know, and I met about a dozen other of some of my dearest friends to this day, all doing this activity. And so we would, you know, we would put on the, you know, it was the year round thing to put on the big event every year in January that we would do at Auburn. But we also traveled to, to, um, to other 
conferences and other other colleges. And so that let me meet a whole bunch of new friends. It, it and it you know the other thing it gained me was it was the first time I'd ever really done public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I, I it's so funny now because all I do every day is public speaking basically. But um and it it means nothing. It's nothing, you know. But back then I remember the first time I stood up in the model UN room like in Brown Hall or wherever it was in that auditorium. I was like <laughs> You know, my heart was pounding and I was turning red. And I'm like scared to death. So, you know, that was a huge thing for me too. It's it's interesting how when you go to school, when you go to college, mm-hmm. a lot of the skills and things that you learn are not necessarily in class. It, it really is true that college is about a lot more than just what you learn in class to prepare you for the real world. Yeah. And public speaking, having to stand up and talk about, you know, United Nations stuff, you know, on and off, that was a huge developmental part of, of my, uh, young adulthood for sure. Yeah. And that's why I asked that question because, you know, we obviously talk about the academic side of things, the sports side of things while we were there, but I think people forget there's this whole other aspect of a college life and that's, you know, your social stuff. And I'm not just talking about parties you might go to, or and it's more just the friendships you make, the relationships that you yes. build maybe professionally that may come back one day. And obviously you brought up John Ringer. We'll talk about him in just a little bit in your podcast. Uh, that obviously came to fruition later on down the road into something big for you too. Um, so I, that's why I asked that question because I always want to hear, you know, what were the other things that people were getting involved in on campus? What was that campus life like? Anything else outside of UN or anything else you got involved with? Well, I'll tell you this. I think um, Auburn in the late 1980s was a great place to be. I mean, it was that was when like the optimism that had come in with Pat Dye and with uh, – the president Martin at the time, the campus was expanding and growing. We were getting new buildings, new facilities, and a, you know, everything just, you know, Auburn in the seventies still was kind of seedy in some ways. And, you know, a lot of it was, had been around for a while and all these new big brick buildings and like the, the aquatic center, the new library extension, that's huge building the deck, building the Eastern upper deck, you know, just so much big stuff happened during the mid and late eighties, when I was there, it was just it, it, Auburn. I know this is true every time, you know, it, it never looks the same when you leave as when you first arrive, but it really, you know, I watched a lot of it. You know, the downside was there was never anywhere to park and all the roads were blocked off all the time, but that's kind of how Auburn always is. But uh, no, I just, I loved, I loved everything about being at Auburn in the 1980s. It was a great time to be there and it was a great place to be at that time. Absolutely. So. Sports wise was a big thing there when we, you know, we've, held that off as long as we can. Let's talk a little bit about that. You're seeing the, you know, the heyday of the Pat Dyer era while you're there. Describe to me what that's like as a student and the games you're getting to see either in person or just know that I'm a, I was a student when this was happening. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's true. Um, so like I said, in high school, I was, a, <clears throat> I was a freshman in high school when we, when we won the bow over the top game. And so the four years that I was in high school, you could just feel it building that Auburn was becoming more impressive, uh, was 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 n- no longer a joke in some ways from the Barfield, you know, years that we were back and that we were good again. And that I think, you know, that increased uh, that increased enrollment. I know that students in my freshman class would tell me in class like, yeah, I just picked this school because I like the football team. And I think that was true of a lot of people because there hadn't been much of a football team to like previously, you know, so. So, so going through high school, you know, you're like, well, if I go to Auburn, this seems like a good time to be there. And you, you get down there and it, it just, it, there was 
electricity in the air every day. Everybody was just so excited to be there and so excited that that Auburn was, you know, football really is the the the, the lifeblood of Auburn. People that people that are not people that don't have a connection to Auburn don't I don't think fully appreciate it or understand. They're like it's a sport. You're not even getting to play it. What do you care? But it's it's about it's about the morale Mm-hmm. of the student body and the faculty it's about the positive energy it permeates everything it's like if you it's like if the batteries were running low on the university and that like plugged it into the wall socket and just lit everything up you know just mm-hmm. brought oxygen to the room and so it it was just an it was just i guess that what i would say is it was just a very optimistic energized environment mm-hmm. during those 4 years because we won the Iron Bowl all four years that I was there. We went to the, we won the SEC three of the years I was there. We went to the Sugar Bowl twice. Um, it was, we, the great win over Florida. You know, John and I have just gone through and done shows about just these games. So, you know, we've, we've talked about them to death, but, um, but that's because it made such an impression. You know, those were milestone events and, in our lives, in our young lives at that time. Absolutely. The way I describe it to people when, you know, they ask the same question, it's just football. You know, you're not involved with it. You're just a fan. You know, what does it matter? The way I try to explain it to people is that football is the engine that drives the car. Now, the engine doesn't go anywhere without the other parts of the car. Obviously, it just kind of sits there and hums along. It's running, but it just hums along. So it's more than just, you know, football. Football is the engine that gets the rest of the car going. That's the way I like no to kind of it. explain it to people and who have that type of question. And I love that you also brought up the energy, the electricity on campus and what that permeates through the rest of campus life, because we could compare that to right now. Recently, we just actually sat down with one of the current students and talked to them about the transition, because for those of those maybe listening off in the future, we are currently in the transition period from Co- Coach Gus Malzahn to Brian Harson and the energy that was kind of lacking to start off with in this year. And now with Harson coming in, maybe the energy is kind of shifting the other way. So it does, it permeates everything. Campus life, uh, you, you hate to admit it, but maybe academics, maybe students show up a little bit more because they're like, I got to get my grades right so I can go to that football game. <laughs> so, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, 100%. So we talked a little bit about academics, sports, and a little bit about campus life. Did you get involved in anything around outside of campus on Auburn? Like, did you were there places you frequented or anything like food or stuff, stuff like that? Yeah, we, I mean, not a whole lot. We would go to Chihuahua or whatever. Yeah. Um, there weren't nearly as many food options back then as, as we have, as you have now. Um, spent a lot of time at places like, uh, on the look like a highway, Rusty's and stuff. But um, there was, again, that was all tied to that model UN crowd. That was kind of my crowd I hung out with. And so yeah. wherever we all would go out and have a bite or have a drink or something, that was, that was very exciting. But that, but yeah, no, I'm a pretty nerdy guy, so <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't have a huge, you know, uh, social life beyond that group. So. Hey, no judgment here. I am a professed nerd as well. You, we've already discussed that off the show here, so no judgment on my end. Uh, you graduated in '90 with political science, and then you stayed for your master's into '94 with political science as well. Uh, is that anything different as a master's stu- uh, master's degree student uh, as opposed to an undergraduate? Yeah, actually. Um, I graduated December of 90 and then um, because I uh, 
I had some 11 credit hour quarters there. I was, uh, I would drop a class. Like I, I probably dropped algebra. I had to, I had to pass college algebra to get my degree. And I probably dropped it five times <laughs> before I finally, it was funny. I went in for my last quarter with my advisor and he looked at my schedule and he saw college algebra. He's like, what are you taking this now? I'm like, well, it's taking a long time to find, you know, I'm like, so I had to get it done. I waited till the very end. I was like, I, if I don't get this algebra class passed, um, I won't get out of here. So, but, um, so I graduated December of 90 and then um, decided to, to try education because I did by that time kind of wanted to teach, but I didn't really understand exactly what I needed to get to do that. So I enrolled in the, in the college of education at Auburn uh, that summer of 91, but I didn't really like it. So I finished that quarter out and then uh, enrolled because at that, by that time, by that time, John was was pretty much going to go to Georgetown, and I'd kind of wanted to go. I'd applied, and we both got accepted, so we both moved to Washington, D.C., and went to Georgetown at the same time. And um, it just didn't work out for me as well as it did for him. He graduated from there. His, he got his master's from there, but I didn't, uh, I didn't like it as much, and so I came back and got my master's in 93 and 94, so, um, which meant that I was back in time for the Terry Bowden 20 and 0 run. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Again, it all comes back to, to football and Auburn, but, uh, absolutely it does. And I was going to ask you about that, uh, with the whole Terry Bowden thing. Oh, well, yeah, we can touch on that. I, um, but no, I, I decided I wanted to get a master's rather than be in education. So I came back and, and, and I knew the professors and I knew the program and everything. So I got back in, but, um, I was very excited that we had, you know, two of the better seasons, because mm-hmm. I had been there for four really good seasons, and then things had kind of taken a downhill turn when I left. And um, I came back, and we, we went undefeated for the first 20 games of Terry Bowden's career. And that was, I mean, that, la- that, that 93 season, uh, when we were, when we were uh, 9-0 and and going to Athens in an 11-game season, um, I had a bunch of T-shirts printed up that said 10-0 uh, and and one to go. And so we took them to Athens, me and my buddies and all and their girlfriends and mine. And so we're sitting up there in the stadium in Sanford stadium. And when it got to like the last couple of minutes of the game, it was obvious we were going to win. We busted open the bag and we all put those on and the Georgia people just went bananas. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it. (laughs) So that was a highlight for the Terry Bowden run. So it sounds to me like every time you come back to Auburn to, or at least uh, to graduate, we're pr- doing pretty good in football. So is there any way I can convince you to pay some tuition to take a class or two at Auburn right now? I I tell you, well, you know, my dad was there freshman year. They won the national championship. So, the pattern kept, continues. <laughs> he, he kept reminding me of that. Like, well, we won the national championship. We weren't even called Auburn then. His freshman year, they won the national championship. His senior year, it changed from API to Auburn. So he, mm-hmm. he caught some good history too. But um, I did go back a couple of years later, but it was 90, like 96, 97, and things mm. didn't go quite as well. So. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, not a full, it's not foolproof, unfortunately. Right. So we talked a lot about football. Uh, during your time there, did you enjoy any other Auburn sports, or did you get heavily involved kind of going to any games or events uh, for any other programs as well? Oh, yeah. I went to basketball all the time. Uh, in fact, I had a class in the Coliseum, and so you could go out the door of the classroom and turn a couple of corners and go out onto the floor of the, of the arena. So I was able to sneak in and watch basketball for free a few times. That was pretty cool. As well as the high school basketball championships that were played in there. I got to go and sneak in there. Um, and, of course, it was a dollar. 
to get into Auburn basketball back then, if you went to the front gate as a student, it was a football games were four dollars, basketball was a dollar, and if you showed up at halftime for the basketball game, it was free. So I went to a lot of Auburn basketball games for a very little amount of money, if any. <laughs> and uh, it was great because that was when we had um, – I, I got there at the tail end of Chuck Person and the, and the Elite Eight run. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they went to the NCAA tournament two or three of those years that I was there yeah. uh, with Sonny Smith. And Sonny yeah. was awesome. And then, um, and then when I came back the second time, I think that was when uh, – Tommy Joe Eagles was there and they were, they had Wesley person, which was pretty cool. Just, just watching him shoot three pointers all the time was, was sweet. So, so yeah, I liked it. And then I did go to one baseball game where Frank Thomas was playing. So I got to see him dwarfing all the other players. It was like, he was like the Jolly Green Giant and then a bunch of <laughs> dwarves, you know, there. it was amazing how much bigger he, Frank was and the rest of the team. But uh, yeah, that was, I guess that was pretty much it. Yeah. Frank Thomas, I, I just missed Bo. But I caught the end of Chuck Person. I saw Frank Thomas. Barkley had been gone for a couple of years when I started. So I got some of it, but not all of it. Hey, Auburn fans. I want to take a quick timeout from this episode to bring your attention to something very special. Here at the E2C Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best content for Auburn fans out there. And best of all, it's free to you. But just because it's free doesn't mean there aren't costs especially when you have a library of hundreds of podcasts, videos, blogs, and more. Many of you have reached out and asked how you can support this network in the past. Well, now I have your answer. It's called the E2C Network Booster Club over at patreon.com slash E2C Network. There you'll find a membership monthly reward system where you can sign up for as little as $1 and get different perks at different tiers. Some of those perks include things such as apparel, eligibility to join us on future podcasts, recognition as an E2C network booster, exclusive communications, and bonus content that is available nowhere else. If you love this network and want to help us keep producing podcasts like this one, please head on over to patreon.com slash E2C network to join the E2C network booster club. You can also get there by going to our website, e2cnetwork.com slash support. Whether you decide to join or not, we are still so appreciative that you would support us by just listening and being here because each and every one of you is part of our E2C Network family. Well, that's it. Timeout's over. Let's get back into the episode. Uh, you're in Illinois now. What's it like being an Auburn fan in Illinois? Any Is there a stronghold up there of Auburn family members? <sighs> Not of family members. Um, I don't really know. I didn't know anybody just my through my in-laws. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, um, is you know, when you work at a college, you have an eclectic collection of people that graduated from all over the place. A lot of, obviously, Illinois and SIU folks up here. But, um, no, the funny thing about this area is that nobody even knows college football exists. I mean, there's not – it's not like you're around Missouri fans. No, there really aren't any Missouri fans you're around <laughs> Cardinals baseball it's all Cardinals baseball you know if if in Atlanta you see brave stuff everywhere in in in, in Alabama you see Alabama stuff everywhere here it's the red and blue with the bird everywhere and a little bit of the blues hockey team but mostly that that bird so they're much more fascinated with baseball than and and, and that wasn't such a culture shock for me because again I lived in Atlanta for 11 years and, and, you know, when the Braves were doing pretty well. And so I was acquainted with the whole idea of a big baseball fan base, even though growing up in Alabama, there's, it's not really anything anybody cares much about, but um, 
relatively speaking. But uh, but no, I, I came to Illinois because they offered me a job. It's so funny. My first day, my first day on campus, my students, I was telling them, like, yeah, I just moved here from Atlanta. And they're like, why? <laughs> they're all wanting to get out of here. You know, they're all wanting to get out of here. And uh, it's like if somebody from Illinois got a job, you know, at Auburn or Ellick City, they'd be like, why did you come down here? Well, I wanted to, you know, I said, I like to have, I like to be able to pay for my food, you know, and, and live. So, um, so I, it was a really good job offer and I had to come, but uh, it's not that far away. Honestly, it feels like a million miles away, but you drive just a little bit and you're in Kentucky and then you're in Tennessee and then you're in Alabama. So it's, you know, it's not as far as it seems probably. Yeah. The drive for me, when I think about it, like you said, it seems a lot farther, but when you really start breaking it down like that, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm almost to Alabama. You know, the, the drive's not so bad there. So do you frequent many games back here since that drive's not so bad? Eh, about once a year. I mean, you know, the last couple of years, John and I did a live video show. So we, that gave us an excuse to get to come back. Mm-hmm. And the, the, AU, the AU bookstore has been awesome. They've let us set up, they've let Auburn Elvis come in our producer and set everything up, you know, so we could go and broadcast live with, you know, Brandon Marcello and whatever. And um, that's been really cool. But even then, like we've, we've come down for a day a couple of times and uh, I, I was, we've done pretty much one game a year in Auburn. Um, We've also you realize up here that the 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 rival teams that are closest are the, the are the weird ones. Like we're we're two hours from Missouri, the University mm-hmm. of Missouri. So if Auburn when when Auburn played at Missouri in seventeen, we were there, of course. Um, we're four hours from Vanderbilt, and we're about three hours from Kentucky, University of Kentucky. So that's a weird trio of East teams. Mm-hmm. It really is the North, you know. Right. But um, I, I that's why I want Auburn in the East because <laughs> you'd be yeah, absolutely. coming up here a lot more, and I wouldn't have to try to get to places like College Station and you know Tuscaloosa and all. I could just and Baton be Rouge. a lot quicker trip. Yeah, see, it's too far away. Yeah, those are too far away. Yeah, I, you know, I've been up to Kentucky's stadium one time, and I'll tell you that was pretty interesting. It was definitely a different culture shock for me. Just, and, you know, going from these campuses down here, whether it's, you know, Tuscaloosa, Athens, Auburn, even Baton Rouge, and then you get to Kentucky, and then football is just not as big of a thing there. I mean, obviously, it's basketball for them. I've not had the pleasure of being in Rupp Arena, but uh, I, I will. Have you been in a game in Kentucky, uh, Auburn, in their stadium for football? Football, yeah. Yeah, the Cam. 20, uh, 2010. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. were there. We went to the, with the 2010 game. Yeah. That was the one. No, I said that, that may have been the last time. Have we played at Kentucky since then? Cause I feel like I would have gone if we had, that's a I long f- time to go without playing them there. I feel like we had one under Sean white as the quarterback. That may be incorrect, but I, I feel like hmm. that matches up in my memory. When Sean white was a quarterback, we had a game where it went down to like the last drive and we had to have, make an interception Something like that. But yes, I think there's been at least one time. You know, that's that goes back to what you were just talking about. The pain of us not being in the East is we don't get to see that side of the conference hardly ever. You know, yeah. we don't get to play Florida. We don't get to play Tennessee. We don't get to play, you know, South Carolina, all these teams that we might have some history with anymore. Uh, I don't want to get you started on that tonight. <laughs> don't even. This is like half of our topics on our show that we do all the time is like, why aren't we in the East? Dang it. Please, please put us there. Um, All right. We have waited long enough to discuss this because we've got to talk about this. You are part of the AU Wishbone podcast with you and John Ringer, who you've already mentioned. You guys got acquainted in college and developed that friendship and it's moved on into adult life and what you guys have been doing in your own separate worlds. But you came together for AU Wishbone. How does that 
start? Oh man, it's, it's complicated. I guess. Um, so John and I, well, the reason I guess we're good friends is we were never roommates. That helps. <laughs> All my roommates I wanted to murder, but John and I were never roommates. We would hang out together with, with other friends uh, and then do Model UN stuff together as seniors. But, um, but what happened was after college, and again, we, we ended up at Georgetown together, so we were kind of around each other in, in Washington. And so we kept, uh, kept close. This is back when you'd make phone calls or write actual letters, okay? Back in the day. Uh, the internet was just coming <laughs> along. Yeah, we were writing actual paper letters with stuff, which is crazy to think of now, but that's what you did. And then um, and phone calls. And so we've always said the wishbone is just our phone calls that everybody can listen to, you know, that we're still doing. And um, I think that's kind of what people enjoy about it is it's genuine. You know, it's, it's not it's not we're not trying to manufacture anything other than when we come up with some goofy, you know, premise or something. But uh, we're just doing our having our conversations. But we um. It started out actually. There was like a an, when the when the email stuff became big. There was an email newsletter where they where the the two Daves picked the SEC, and they would have guest Daves come on, and and predict. And you had to be funny. Mm-hmm. And Will Collier would be on there all the time. And then John and I together would be on there, and we would like write stuff. And then we started writing for the War Eagle Reader, and Jeremy Henderson started you know printing our publishing our stuff that we came up with. In fact the columns that we started writing for him in 2010 are, are how we ended up deciding to do the wishbone. And also it's how, where our book came from. Their first book was season of our dreams. We just took our columns from that year and kind of wrote around them, you know, what was going on. So that was our first book. And then we got tired. We just, it was hard to type up entire columns every week for the war Eagle reader. So I asked Jeremy, could we just record them mm-hmm. just do an audio thing? And so the wishbone really started as us wanting to do our columns, but not having the time to type. You know, you can go back on the War Eagle Reader and see we spent hours every week typing up these long, you know, snarky, trying to be funny Auburn <laughs> football history prediction columns. And it just got to be too much. So, which is ironic because I probably put more time into podcasting now than we did into that. But, you know, it kind of became a monster and grew. So, so we started doing the show uh, in, in the fall of 2012. And if you go back and listen to our first season, we're talking about how every episode is like, now that game was like going to the dentist for some serious dental work, watching us, you know, get bulldozed by Texas A&M and, you know, all that. So we picked a terrible year to start but it gave us time to ramp up so that when 2013 got going, we, we had our stride and it was just obviously a dream, dream come mm-hmm. true. So for the most now, part, I'm glad that you guys fought through that pain of that season and uh-huh. uh, continued on uh, to do this because, you know, it's it, podcasting was obviously around before that, but it wasn't a big thing. And I, I kind of associate your podcast with the rise of Auburn podcasting that sphere because there wasn't a lot of them out there when i started you know listening to them myself and then started getting this notion that we do our own stuff too um and in a way i would say and give you guys some credit you kind of inspired uh some people like me to do something so i hope that whether it was you know through the war eagle reader and your columns there uh through your your snarky post on there and and then taking them into the voice thing that you I hope you know that you've inspired a generation of of people that want to share their perspectives on Auburn (laughs) podcasting well that's that's very much appreciated I uh we we, you know you tend to look at it not you know we don't know what comes out of us we just knew what we came out of and so Mm -hmm. I know that I had been doing 
I had been doing guest spots on shows for a while for the Earth Station One Network and stuff like that. And um, I said, I could do this myself. I think I could do this. And I think I would rather be in charge. <laughs> you know how that goes, right? So, right. So I said, John, let's do a show. And, and you know, John, if you've ever listened to our show, you know that John is the most laid back, easygoing. He doesn't suffer fools mm-hmm. and he doesn't put up with any nonsense. But if you bring him a good idea, he'll go, OK. And you're like, oh, he loved it. Let's do it. You know? Whereas if you bring him a bad idea, he'll go, no. And that's it's done. Right. So. Um, so it, it, it seemed like a good combination because I knew that I would be all bouncy and energetic and yep. John would be kind of level headed and analytic. And I thought it would make a good combination. And I think it has. So. I like and I didn't I wasn't aware of this, that he's basically the litmus test for what you guys do and don't do. <laughs> that's pretty obvious. <laughs> I never like really thought about it before. But you're right. Now, just never. thinking back on some of y'all's episodes. Oh, I mean, if it was like junior year at Auburn, I'd be like, John, let's go do so and so. And I, well, okay, I guess we won't. You know, that was—it's always been that way. It's, it's not a new thing. So yeah, he's—he's he's always been the one to exert good judgment when I just like want to run with whatever you know crosses my mind in a given moment. So well, let's uh, maybe to round out our discussion of your Auburn story. Let's talk about being an Auburn fan um, post college and during this you know giant time we've just kind of touched on here. What's some big sports moments that stick out to you? And you know, obviously there's some pretty obvious ones out there, but you know, for Van. Alan Plexico's Auburn story during this time of your life, post-college, what's some of those big Auburn moments that you'll always remember, even personal ones? Well, yeah, like getting to take my older daughter when she was like 14 or 15. I I took her to her first Auburn game with me. The two of us just went down there. We stayed with my sister in Silicaga, and we went down to the, I think it was the Arkansas State game one year, and that was awesome because she kind of got to see everything without the whole family around everything. And then – you know, we, you know, getting to throw, we have one little tiny tree in our front yard and, uh, you know, beating Alabama or winning the SEC championship. We would, my, my, my little one getting to go out and throw toilet paper in it in the middle of Illinois. <laughs> you know, nobody knows why in the world we're out there throwing toilet paper in our own tree. They don't get that, but, but it was a big thing, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, any anything that like like for example opening week we're not uh, which we, we, we call faculty meeting week here at our college we're not supposed to uh, miss that at all and in and in 2011 um, the national championship game in Arizona was going to be the day of one of the faculty meetings mm-hmm. and I went to the dean and I'm like I know that I ha- I need to be there but Auburn is playing for the national championship <laughs> is there any way. <laughs> Anyway, and he goes, if Auburn gets into that game, and this was when we weren't, weren't for sure in it yet. He goes, if Auburn is, he probably thought it wasn't going to happen, right? But he, he said, if Auburn's in the national championship game, I'll let you go. And then we were, and I'm like, you said <laughs> I get to go. So he's like, yeah, I couldn't stop you from going to that. So that was that's the kind of thing, right, where people up here understand how important it is. And, uh, you know, even my boss wasn't going to tackle me and keep me from going to that. So that was pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, other than that, it's just pretty much the same, same as anybody. I mean, we've, you know, any, any, any excuse to put the more Auburn stuff on than I already normally wear and, and run around. You know, the funny thing about that though, is you go anywhere around here, around St. Louis, Illinois, whatever. And this is a phenomenon I've talked about on Twitter with other people, other people have agreed is you'll see somebody in an Auburn hat or Auburn shirt. And we say war Eagle nine times out of 10, their response is either nothing or look at you like you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like in, in Alabama, you get a war eagle up right. here. 
like I sometimes I'll press this and go War Eagle. You're going to say War Eagle and like, huh? Well, when we say War Eagle, I, you know, oh, I found this on the ground. I got that one time. I found this Auburn hat on the ground and just kept it. I don't know what it means. Or one guy, oh, this is my cousin's shirt. I don't know anything about. So it's weird. You don't get this. I always hear these stories of people in like Uzbekistan getting war eagled. And I'm like, I'm not that far away from home. And these people don't even know they wear Auburn stuff and don't even know to say war eagle. So I, I don't know what to do with that. That's just puzzled me my whole, my whole life that so, I've been up here. I I found this formula that works for me. I kind of try to think about proportional wise. The distance that I get from Auburn is whether I approach someone in that manner to the point where I was in Alaska one time and I saw we were in this mall in Alaska and I saw this uh, person working in the one of the shops and didn't say anything. She was wearing Auburn gear, but didn't say anything. She approached me and said, where are you going? I'm like, okay, thank you so much for addressing me <laughs> because I wanted to, but I didn't know if you were just someone wearing yep. a shirt or you were actually an Auburn fan. So I think that's funny you brought that up. The distance seems to be proportional to how likely you are to get that back. <laughs> if I had said something to her, she'd have been like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. So it, it happens to me. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just cursed with the War Eagle thing. But by the way, my um, my wife, though, used to say it, they're like this cult. <laughs> they have a secret password and everything. She's into it now and has been for years. But originally it was kind of mm-hmm. like, Mm-hmm. what are you doing what are you saying like no trust me they then of course people look at you like you're crazy and i'm like no i i promise normally they'd say war eagle back i'm not just crazy so <laughs> i think many of our auburn family members have probably had similar stories out there uh war eagle moments yeah. are great when they happen but boy can they be awkward when they don't happen because then you're like the weird kid yeah, getting some sign that's like what, yeah. what what are you talking about um Anything else from your Auburn story that you'd like to share uh, before we start rounding out our show? No, I, I, I wish that we could go back more often, get back down there and, 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 and just see everybody, just see the campus and see the people and just be there, you know, not just in sporting goods. I'm, I'm, I'm so jealous, you know, John's parents live there and have mm-hmm. for the last several years, they retired from Atlanta and moved back there. And I'm like, man, what a, what a dream, you know, yeah, to be able to, just walk to every Auburn sporting event, you know, that would be so fantastic. So I'm, uh, I'm jealous of them, but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I love it. And um, I hope that I can continue to uh, come up with uh, fun uh, historical things to talk about. And, and by the way, John and I are working on volume one and volume two of two new books nice, based on our, we believe series. So Hopefully we'll have the first one of those out this fall. Yeah. Talking about Auburn history from the end of Suge up through Terry Bowden. That was going to be another one of my last questions for you. Any other publications we're working on? So I'm glad we, we got to know that here. So people can be watching for that, uh, obviously a little bit off in the future from when we're recording this, but hopefully you'll check out any of uh, Van and John's uh, publications out there, their podcasts. There's plenty of opportunities to get to know them better as Auburn family members. Van, I think this is the time in the show where I'd like to round it out with not so rapid fire, rapid fire questions. The reason I phrase it that way is because usually people need to explain themselves or I want explanations further. Uh, So if you're ready, we'll get started with that. All right, let's do it. 12 questions. Question number one, orange or blue? The look on your face (laughs) is priceless. How can... How can I choose? They have to go together. That's like saying the chocolate or the peanut butter and the Reese's. I understand, but you gotta I'm going to have them push, together. I'm going to push the issue, though, orange or blue. All right. All right. 
right. Well, I I came up under Pat Dye, who said we're a blue team. I'm not big on that whole orange thing. White was Pat Dye's second color. Orange was kind of on the fringe. I guess I'll go blue, but under protest. Okay. (laughs) I'll I'll let that stand even under protest. Uh, Question two. (laughs) It doesn't get any easier. Obby or War Eagle? All right. Now, Obby is a critter. War Eagle like the saying or the bird? The bird. The the mascots. The the two two mascots. Okay. Okay. Um, Albie or the War Eagle? Um, I Albie. I love Albie. The bird is awesome. Can't take anything away from the birds. I guess we have multiple birds. We only had one bird a lot of the time I was there. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, tiger. Tiger ruled. But um, but Albie's the best. So I have to go Albie. But it's it, it. These are you're right. It doesn't get any easier. That's that's. <laughs> you're asking me to pick which of my kids is my favorite one, man. That ain't right. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this questionnaire is just watching people squirm. Uh, that's it's. I don't know what that yeah. says about me as an individual, but uh, sadistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe this is a little bit easier. I don't know. Question three: Your favorite part of the Auburn fight song? So it can be a word, a phrase, any part of the Auburn fight song. What's your favorite? You know, I, musically, I think it's the. Go, 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 because it kind of changes gear there. I mm-hmm. like that it kind of – it's going along doing one thing, and then all of a sudden kind of shifts gear, and then it does something else. That's pretty cool. But in terms of lyrics, you got to like the cussing. Come on. <laughs> I like you know, the fact that our fight song has cussing in it. It was the first time as a child you could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked uh, – I, I hung out for a while with some friends that were in the the Baptist Student Union. They tried really hard to be good, good, good kids, you know. And they they just would squirm when that part of the fight circle came around. And I always felt, or like when you do body get right? And yep. it's got it in it too. Yeah. And they'd be like finding creative ways to get around that. And I'm like, man, it's the fight song and the, just, just go with it. But you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that it's colorful. Put it that way. All right. Question four. And this is probably the easiest one you'll get. Uh, your favorite Auburn athletics program of all 12 of them, I think, that are out there, but your favorite Auburn athletics program? Sport, you mean? Sport, excuse me. Yeah, sports program, is, I guess, to clarify that. Um, I was going to say, because I do an Auburn program, <laughs> so I wasn't sure what you meant by program. Um, yeah, Auburn, uh, I, oh, yeah, football. I mean, um, basketball has its has its allure, but understand, for the vast, vast majority of the time that I've watched Auburn basketball, it's been mediocre to horrible. And the football is the is the lifeblood of the campus. So I, I it, you know, basketball is trendy these days, and, and God bless Bruce, and, you know. But but football is football. Absolutely. Question five: Your favorite Auburn athlete of all time? It used to be Damian Craig. Used to be. Um, used to be, but he's ticked me off a few times as a coach, and it's that's shattered my imp- uh, my impressions <laughs> of him as a quarterback. Although that 97 year, man, you know, it's one thing to be the quarterback that's great on a team that's pretty good. He was, he was Michael Jordan, not with the Bulls, but with like a high school team. Mm-hmm. And he carried that team on his back. But I mean, honestly, in terms of accomplishments, how can it not be Cam? I mean, Cam delivered the thing that Bo couldn't deliver, that Damian Craig couldn't deliver, that Pat Dye arguably couldn't deliver. Cam got it done with nobody else has been able to do in my lifetime. And so I think it's, you know, it's pretty much Cam. Good answer there. I have fine few things to argue with on that. Uh, question <laughs> six, your favorite Auburn football coach of all time, or coach in general, doesn't have to be football, but your favorite Auburn coach. 
man, you know, Bruce is making a case. Mm-hmm. If we'd won the national championship, if if Virginia had gotten called for for their flagrant violations at the end of that game, <laughs> and we had gone on to win the national championship, I'd be like, you know, because think about this. I always used to say that the the sports that I love in different sports, in different teams in different sports, I've always said the two hardest things to win at all in my sports would be the United States winning the World Cup and Auburn winning the national championship in basketball. And I said, honestly, I think I'm more likely to see the United States win the World Cup in my lifetime than Auburn win a national championship in basketball. And Bruce Pearl almost did what I would have said was absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if and if 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 the Gus Malzahn era had worked out better, I you know, you guys know I I love Gus. I wanted it I wanted so bad right. for 2013 to be the standard instead of the high point. I didn't want him to be Terry Bowden, which is kind of what it ended up being. Um and I mean Pat died, my gosh. So, it's tough. It's somewhere I guess it's somewhere between <sighs> It's somewhere between Pat Dye and, and Bruce Pearl, honestly. And and um and isn't it funny I'm not seeing Gene Chizik because I don't think that he gets I can't give him the credit all the I think he did a lot. I'm just talking myself in circles, aren't I? <laughs> no, hey, this as I, I know, said, I, I enjoy this part of the, the questionnaire more than anything, watching people kind of circle around a little bit. <laughs> I, I have to. I ha- I mean this yeah. I, I mean I guess Pat Dye, but for 82 and for 89 and, and for 83 and, 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 and all that, the sugar bowls and the, but, but Bruce is making a case. We'll put it that way. If he were a football coach doing for the football team, what he's doing for the basketball team, we would be up there with Nick Saban right now in terms of, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's so much higher to start with. Yeah. He, he took us from like the absolute outhouse to the, almost the penthouse, which is, you know, un, unheard of. So. He absolutely did. And the journey's still going, uh, for now at least. (laughs) So hope he doesn't get too big and just leave us someday. But uh, we are thankful for Coach Bruce Pearl. Every moment. All right. Question seven Your favorite Auburn non athletics person. So a little clarification this can be family member, a professor, just a friend, uh, anything that is not directly associated with Auburn athletics, like an athlete or a coach or something like that. Yeah, that's that's a hard one too because there've been so many. There were so many great uh, professors. I think that probably, uh, in, at least in terms of that, my favorite one would have been um, uh, Dr. McFarland, the, the the history professor for so long, the Air Force related guy. Um, I mean, he really got me interested in in history more than I already was, mm-hmm. and in and wanting to teach to a great degree. Um, um, but um, uh, I guess you know, other than that we kind of claimed Jimmy Buffett a little bit <laughs> for like one quarter, right? Before he went to LSU and then dropped that entirely. But uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I'll, uh, I had a quite a few really good professors that I guess, I mean, who am I forgetting that's out there? I mean, Tim Cook also, obviously, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, but McFarland probably had the most impact on my, uh, on my career and life choices. So I'll go with him. Yeah. I love it when uh, people can give a shout out to professors, whether they're still there or not, uh, just because I think, you know, they deserve recognition for the minds that they're molding and the investment they're putting in the future of, you know, the Auburn family in, in a different sense. Uh, question eight, your favorite Auburn building, campus, off campus, if you can make a case for it being somewhere else in the country, but your favorite Auburn building. In a, in a twisted, evil, perverted way, my home for the longest time was Haley Center. 
What is and, going on uh, here? We have had a trend of people picking Haley Sitter. We're in some alternate reality. <laughs> it's awful. It's terrible, but it's it's like the vortex of crap, but it's there at the center of the vortex, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. where I took that's where I took 80% of my undergraduate classes. I was very excited when I came back, you know, to get my uh, and and when I got my masters that it was there. When I came back to try to to do some PhD work a bit later on, I was over in Bowden Hall. Isn't it, or is it, that's it, that's an Emory. The one, no, um, Thatch. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thatch, uh, right across the street. But that never felt like home. Haley Center, for all of its annoyingness, its weirdness, that's home. Mm-hmm. That's home. It's a home for many people because they're still stuck there to this day in the vortex and can't get out. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> Figure out where any of the rooms are. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's quite a mess, but it is something that is uniquely Auburn and should remain that way. Question number nine. Your favorite Auburn place to eat? You know, there's, there's, it's not even close, honestly. Um, I don't know if that location is even there anymore, but I'll, my first ever, like the, the first week I was back at Auburn with my roommates. And by this point, you know, they had figured everything out and were showing me. We went to Guthrie's where it was at the intersection going toward Opelika. Yep. At the Y there, you know. And that's it. I mean, that was uh, that was my introduction to something I'd never experienced before: chicken fingers and French fries, and chicken fingers that with sauce, and chicken fingers that were much, much better than any normal place would cook them. And I'm like, this is a revelation. And so, yeah. Speaking of vortexes and like alternate realities, this is like two episodes around not only that someone's picked Haley Center, but then picked that specific Guthrie's as well. Yeah, go to the one out on uh, on Glen now. You know, I live. By the way, I lived uh, fourteen different places in Auburn uh, while I was there. I I'm, I average moving every six months for some strange reason, but um, but uh, I lived that on. I lived I lived down the street from that Guthrie's, and I lived on Glen near the other one out there. So mm-hmm. it was always handy. Yeah, absolutely love it. And I that- got my whole family converted over. We go to Canes all the time now. I don't know if I can talk to you anymore for liking Canes. I had a bad experience down there in Baton Rouge. Oh, and ever boy. since it's been like, oh, I can't do it anymore. But uh, we can agree on Guthrie's at least. <laughs> All right. Question 10. Your favorite Auburn traditions can be sports, non-sports, a personal tradition that nobody else would have, but your favorite Auburn tradition. God, we have so many, you know, and we make such a big deal out of it. Um, we really play up the whole idea of Auburn traditions, which always uh, that I always see signs on campus, people advertising. It's the newest Auburn tradition. I'm like, if it's new, it's not a tradition. Mm-hmm. Traditions happen organically over time. You can't declare something a tradition. It has to evolve. You know, it has to become accepted over time. So that's stupid. But uh, I, you know, I, it's hard to get past Rolling Tumors Corner, honestly. It's like this weird thing that we have that nobody else has, that it's it combines fellowship and gathering with celebration and unity with an activity. Mm-hmm. A, and it's an activity that even kids can do and have fun with. And so when you combine all those things together, it's, an, it's, a, it's a combination of, it's like a family reunion, a victory celebration, and a crazy, wacky, fun activity that kids enjoy all at the same time. And it, it's if if it didn't exist, and the university said we need to create some kind of tradition 
that involves those elements, it would be hard to think of something mm-hmm. that would combine all those things together. And yet this just organically grew over time, you know, and, and that's, that's how you know it's real, I think, is when it comes together over time and everybody wants to do it, you know, it's, and, it, and it's not other than to the poor trees, you know, arguably it's not that harmful. So I'll go right. with that. Yeah, it's it's something I don't know that anybody's ever put it so well as you just have explaining what makes it so special. Because, you know, when you, you try to explain it to someone that's not an Auburn fan, th- their usual response is, so you're vandalizing. In a sense, but it's like <laughs> it's legal vandalism to, to some extent. <laughs> um, but it's a very special tradition that's hard to beat. So I'm happy you picked that one. Yeah. Question 11, your favorite Auburn memory. Well, there's probably some I can't say on the air. <laughs> it was college <laughs> days after all. <laughs> but uh, I think that probably my favorite o- Auburn memory was in fall of 89. I've, I've made friends with John and, and his girlfriend, Denise, and several other people. And my girlfriend that was going to UAB at the time came down. And we, we got up early that Saturday morning and walked to the stadium at like 7 o'clock in the morning for the Alabama game first time ever. And we saw, we all sat out there outside the student gates for like seven hours or something. And nobody was bored. It was electric. They always say it really was. It was, you know, it was just this sense that something huge was about to happen. And yet you weren't exactly sure how it was going to come out. And that whole day, is probably my single favorite. Oh, oh, oh. And the day before I had had horrible food poisoning and thought I wasn't going to get to go at all. I had, I had, uh, one of my stupid, stupid roommates had left out my orange juice like overnight and then put it back in the refrigerator. And I got so sick and I thought, I'm not going to be able to go the first time ever game. I don't know what I'm going to do. And my girlfriend came down and got me stuff to drink to rehydrate me and everything. And and the next day I was able to go. And I so I doubly appreciated, you know, not only that it was happening, but that I had somehow miraculously gotten well enough to go to it. So that that first time ever game in De- December 2nd, 1989 will live forever. That that was just such a unbelievable thing. Yeah, you've got it, was, eat. It, was, it was one of those things you don't think you'll ever see in your lifetime. Yeah. yeah. And you've got the uh, extra special thing that you almost missed it too. So it it just adds to it. The fact that you made it there despite all that. All right. Your final question. I want you to describe Auburn to me in one word other than family. Love. Because the love of Auburn and the love of each other as Auburn family members Mm -hmm. is, is what holds us all together. We love the teams. We love, we love the place. We love the people. It's not just about winning a game. It, it's it's funny. It's like for it's like for Alabama fans and for others, a lot of them. It's about winning, right? It's about look at me. I can win. The thing I'm associated with can win. Whereas for us, it's that we love Auburn, and Auburn winning gives us pride in that love that we already had. It's not about the winning. It's about seeing Auburn living up to what we want it to be. I think. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to round that out. And I, I, I love the way you expressed the word love there and, and what it means to us and how it differentiates us from a little bit of, uh, you know, the rivals and, but just, you know, other fans of other sports in general as well. Uh, this is a very unique team, university, town, family. 
And uh, you are a very unique, but also very special member of the Auburn family. And so we're very appreciative for you sharing your Auburn story with us. Really quickly, though, I would like for you to share where people uh, can find uh, your podcast and your books that you currently have out just so that you can get a quick little plug for that. Well, appreciate it. Yeah, and we appreciate you. And all. And I mean, I got to tell you, everybody that, that goes beyond the call of duty to do the things that we do, both of us and others for Auburn, has my complete respect and appreciation and admiration. Thank you. And, uh, and I followed you and your show and you guys from the beginning. And so I know that it's every bit as important to you guys and you as it, as it ever has been to John and me. So, um, you can, uh, you can hear our show on it's, it's the AU wishbone. It's on Apple podcasts, iTunes. It's on Podbean, P O D B E A N. For those that go there, it's on Spotify and it, uh, we posted on Twitter. We posted on Facebook or there's a Facebook page. There's a Twitter account at AU wishbone. And uh, sometimes we're on the, we're on the War Eagle Reader site, sometimes not. It just depends on if I think to send it to, to Jeremy or not. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where it started, though. And then, um, yeah, so that's the, that's the show. And we, we have a YouTube channel, too. So occasionally we do a live simulcast when we're recording. And the books, can they find that on Amazon? Or is it is, where is the yeah. best place to find the books? Yeah, if you're in Auburn AU Bookstore, I think keeps them okay. uh, in stock. But, uh, but Amazon would be the, the best place to go for sure. We've got uh, Season of Our Dreams, which covered the 2010 season. We have Decades of Dominance, which we're getting ready to update. I, I always hesitate to say that because people will stop buying the one that's there now. You know, right. we say, well, there's a new one coming. <laughs> it's, it's, but it, it, will, it will have, we, we published that in early 13. And so it's coming time to go ahead and do a 10-year refresh on it. It doesn't have anything from Gus's era at all, really. So uh, it's time to refresh that book. But yeah, those are on Amazon. And like I said, we'll have uh, We Believe Volume 1 coming soon, too. Awesome. So you've got stuff to look forward to, Auburn family. And I hope that you'll go check out their podcasts, their books. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Auburn Roots, episode 26 with Van Allen Flexico. Thank you again to Van. Thank you to the listeners. And we will be back again very soon to tell another Auburn story and share some more Auburn Roots. War Eagle. War Eagle.